Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I owe this format an apology. I cannot wait to hear this formal address to Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate and hear what you have to say, Ben. Dear Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate, I am deeply sorry for the tweet that I made last week where I said that you were the worst format of all time. Holy cow. It was wrong. I was wrong. You are a fine draft format. Maybe not the one for me, but you are a perfectly fine draft format. And I have been punishing you for things that you are not instead of appreciating you as you are. Well, on behalf of Alchemy Horizons, we accept your apology. Yeah. And I'm, I'm excited to talk about the format with you today, Ben, maybe under some, some fresh eyes from you. Yeah, I think this format is fine. It's a good format. Uh-uh. A, he said it. He said it. Look, <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> this is a fine format. And I think there are interesting things to do. I enjoyed myself playing sealed off stream last night in the, the last chance qualifier thing. It's a good format. That is not what I wanted from it. I think that's so much of my dislike of it is mm. that I had such high expectations for alchemy and things like that. And I think that stuff just didn't quite get there. And there's so much hatred, I think, of alchemy just in general. This has nothing to do with that for me because the economy is not predatory or whatever. This just had the opportunity to be such a sweet, sweet thing for limited. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of dropped the ball on making it as sweet as possible. But it is pretty good and it's enjoyable and there's a lot of fun games. I agree. And I think there's some stuff to discuss today. We're going to be looking at some draft logs, looking at some commons re-ranked and just in general, I think talk about some card specifics, get in a little deeper. Now we've got some data from 17 lands that we can sort of bounce some ideas off of as well. So I'm looking forward to chatting about this and we will be doing sealed next week in anticipation of the arena open. Uh, We know that there is the mythic championship qualifier next weekend that some people will have qualified for via rank. Some people will be qualifying for via these play and point challenges, um, but uh, we figured that was a, a smaller subset. So give us some more time to get our hands on the cards before coming at you with a, a sealed episode. But we will have that for you next week. And then maybe uh, maybe some sweet build around rare episodes in the future, because I think there's quite a bit of those in this format as well. I do have one sweet tidbit if anybody's Ooh. doing sealed for the MCQ this weekend, because I've done why I have no idea, but I've done like five or six seals already. <laughs> OK, and not all during the last chance qualifier. That was only two of them. I think sealed kind of revolves around maximizing your double team cards, especially if you don't get like a really rare heavy pool. I just played like five color soup because I had some fixing with every double team card in my pool and it was awesome. And the games just kept coming down to me and my opponents triggering double team a lot. Like the three, four flyer with double team is way better in sealed than it is in draft. And I think almost a reason to be white. Ooh, that's some good tech right there, buddy. Thanks for dropping that. All right, sweet. Uh, So a few housekeeping things before we dive into the episode. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to get back to the show if they so choose. Got some sweet perks over at the Patreon page. Got access to our Discord, which is just an awesome 24-7 limited community to be a part of. Um, You get access to the show a day early. You can get access to our show notes in anticipation of the show. You can get access to a private section of the Discord and even access to monthly coaching sessions with me or Ben if you go all the way up the reward tiers. So a lot of cool stuff happening over at the Patreon page if you're interested in those perks. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold each and every week. So this week we are welcoming Pascal, Ryan, Casey, Thomas, Giuliano, Data Pusher, Avishal, and Matty. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by ChannelFireball.com. No longer 
the best place on the internet for all your magic card <laughs> needs. That honor now belongs to TCG player who has recently acquired Channel Fireball. I mean, in all seriousness, I joke a little bit. I do think Channel Fireball is incredible. And if you haven't heard the news, TCG player has acquired Channel Fireball and there is going to be a merging of like CFB's content arm into TCG player. And it's not quite clear how all of that is going to work yet, either on the content side for us or you know, for you all as consumers, I think they're figuring it out. And for the next couple of weeks, they're still operating as independent companies. So for right now, we want to direct you to Channel Fireball. And we probably will start directing you to TCG Player in a few weeks. And it's not due to the fact that we no longer think Channel Fireball's, you know, not one of the best places to go on the internet. They're just folded into TCG Player now. And I can only assume that if TCG Player is half as welcoming and good to us <laughs> as Channel Fireball has been, it's going to be an incredible place to work because... CFP has honestly been a dream for both you and I, and I think you would agree with that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm just like so happy to have been a part of the CFP family for the past almost two years now, which is super awesome and uh, really looking forward to seeing what the future brings. And so far, we've been assured that nothing will change on our end. So looking forward to that as well. Yeah, and I don't think anything should change on your end as a listener, certainly for Lords of Limit. We're going to be bringing you the same product each and every week free of charge. And I also want to say, you know, you said CFP family. And it really does feel like that to me, which is such a weird thing because we've only been there for two years. But just being able to work alongside and collaborate with some of the people that like we read articles by when we were mm -hmm. in high school and our early college years and things like that has just been unreal. And feeling included by those people has been an absolute blessing. And I am very excited for the next step forward with TCG Player. Amen. And on that note, for anything that you do at Channel Fireball for the next few weeks until we announce some changes, please use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. So speaking of working with Channel Fireball being a dream, it's been a dream for me opening up these show notes that you've been doing the past few weeks, Ben. <laughs> ben just like, you know, gets our show notes all together, shares the Google Doc with me, I read through it and I go, yep. No notes seems good, which is kind of funny because we've had such different experiences, but we seem to be lockstep with about, I'd say, 95% of the rules of engagement for the set. So you've got some top common revisions. I'm going to do a little bit of checking in with what 17 Lands has to say, and we can uh, use that as a springboard for today's episode. So let's lead things off with white. Yeah, I think we were close on white, but I don't think we quite gave enough credit to Patriarch's humiliation. So mm -hmm. number one slot, Blessed Hippogriff, that's the 2-3 the flyer that has the single white combat trick adventure that gives something indestructible. That I think is the best white common. Patriarch's humiliation is not very far behind. That's the single white instant that deals damage to a creature equal to the number of creatures you control, and it perpetually loses all abilities. I was thinking Patriarch's humiliation really needed to go in a super aggressive deck to be great. And I don't think that's the case. It's just a very good card in any white deck that's running 15 creatures. Yeah, you want your curve to be a little lower, but it's closer to Lightning Bolt that you can't cast until turn four in a normal deck. And in decks that really maximize it, it's just absolutely bonkers. It's one of the best limited removal spells we've seen in a long, 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 long time. And I do want to just say that you can't undersell the importance or this the synergy that's there with the Blessed Hippogriff adventure and Patriarch's Humiliation costing a single white. That really puts your opponent in a headache situation, or I should say as being on the receiving end of a single white mana being left open for the entire game. Just like really trying to think, 
well, which one is it? And can I play around both? Can I play around either? Can I think about interacting with either of them favorably? It really puts your opponent in a tough spot. And then the real whammy comes when that single white mana was actually just spiked pit trap all along. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's true. That's the real gotcha move of the format. Uh, And then number three, I think Priest of Ancient Lore ahead of all the two drops and also Ahead of all the two drops, I think Steadfast Unicorn. Single white yeah. for the one, two, three, and a white. When you activate it, you can only activate it on your turn, and it gives your creatures plus one, plus one, and vigilance. I think you're supposed to take that over the two drops as well. So shout out to you both for nailing Hippogriff and Steadfast Unicorn in the Crash Course, I think. And 17 Lands has those four cards as the top four white commons as well. It actually has Hippogriff, one, Priest, two, Humiliation, three, and that's the top three commons in the set overall as well so just take that for what it's worth i mean i think you should take that for white being extremely deep and extremely good (laughs) yeah and i think the reason that i was holding on to priest of ancient lore as number one for so long is that i've not really been or my inclination is not to draft these white aggressive decks where i do think hippogriff humiliation unicorn the two drops are all at their best and priest of ancient lore is a lot better if you're trying to do some sort of valuey blinky recursion and leaves the battlefield sacrifice engine thing. That's why I've been thinking that Priest was number one for so long. But really looking at like what the rest of white does so well, which is put pressure on your opponent, get early board presence, it really makes sense to me why all of those other cards have such high ratings. Yeah, and Steadfast Unicorn in particular, if you're not picking that highly, you should be, I think, expecting to pick it picks five through eight, certainly, like you shouldn't be expecting that card to wheel. And one of the reasons it's so good is because after everybody, you know, formats kind of fast, everybody plays all their two drops, plays all their three drops. If it's an equal matchup, the board does tend to stall out a little bit and there aren't Mm -hmm. great places to put your mana. And all of a sudden, putting four mana in a steadfast unicorn gives you great attacks into your opponent and it makes it very difficult for them to race because your creatures have vigilance and heaven forbid you get to eight mana and you get to activate it twice which happens happens way more than you would think yeah it's just really good and it doesn't have to tussle in combat so your opponents are forced to spend a removal spell on it later in the game it's almost like a flag bearer yes that also has the ability to pump your team and if you're not familiar with the flag bearer jargon those are creatures that your opponent has to target first with their removal before they can target your other creatures. Yep. Uh, I'm very, very impressed by the unicorn. I was not, I hadn't seen it enough last week to, to be on team unicorn, but I'm firmly in the camp of team unicorn this week. All right, moving on to blue. No real revisions here. I don't think of, I don't think so. Um, I'm, we may need to do an episode on blue later. I don't know if I'm still like the only <laughs> person who likes blue. I'm looking at my most drafted commons on uh, 17 lands. The top five are blue cards, <laughs> Clever Conjurer, Yikes. Librarians, Young Blue Dragon, Undersimplify, Air Cult Elemental, in that order. I, I like blue a lot in this format, um, and I've been getting into it often. I've been, you know, I'm not like crushing this format by any means. I've got like a, I don't know, 64, 65% win rate in best of three, which is on the lower end, I would say. But I'm having a blast, and I'm winning, and I'm like, I think, shooting myself in the foot a little bit by drafting blue so much. <laughs> yes. But I will say, but I, but here's the thing is, that like, I think people are writing blue off like it's unplayable, and it's nowhere near that. There is a lot of good stuff to be doing with blue. You just don't want to be getting into blue for commons. Yes, I would absolutely say that zero commons should pull you into blue, and you should be very specific about the uncommons and rares that you let pull you in. And maybe should be looking to splash them if that is an option as opposed to playing blue if you're trying to maximize your win rate. Now, there is a lot of fun to be had in blue. I will agree. 
Yes. And so uh, we're still uh, selling Young Blue Dragon number one, Undersimplify number two, and Lizard Folk Librarians number three. Uh, Air Cult Elemental currently holds the top spot on 17 lands, which is not surprising to me in the sense of like, it's probably the most impactful of those cards, but it's hard to load up on six drops in this format, I think. And I do think if you're loading up on the Air Cult Elementals, you really need to be prioritizing Clever Conjurers as three mana rampers that also affect the board. For sure. All right, moving on to Black. We've got similar order. Number one, Sewer Plague. Uh, that's the minus two, minus two instant speed removal spell where the creature gets minus one, minus one perpetually every upkeep. Number two, Guild Sworn Prowler. One in a black for the two one with death touch. And if it dies, anytime it wasn't blocking, you get a draw card. Number three, Grim Bounty. Two BB for destroy target creature planeswalker. Make a treasure. And in the number four slot, we've got honorable mention for Sepulchre Ghoul, one in a black for the two, two, and you can sacrifice a creature to give it plus two, plus two, and you can activate that ability once per turn. Yeah. So this is, I think, probably the biggest difference for us with the data. Um, 17 lands has Guildsworn Prowler at number one. It has Grim Bounty at number three as well. It has a card that's not even on our list in honorable mention at number two in Shambling Gas. That's the single black one, one. When it dies, you can either make a treasure or give a creature minus one, minus one until end of turn. I do think this card is quite strongly positioned in the form. Format. And I do like Guildsworn Prowler in the number one slot here, um, but I like the three cards in our top three better than the three cards in 17 lands top three. Yeah. Sewer Plague being number six is very surprising to me, to be honest. That is wild to me. Sewer Plague has felt insanely good every time I've had it in my hand. And you yeah. really can leverage it for a lot of value. I would say Shambling Gas surprises me that it's that high because it only feels premium to me in decks that want to go longer. Like mm-hmm. it, I don't think it is very premium in aggressively slanted black decks. Well, yes, but does do black decks slant aggressively that often? I mean, black, white, and black red are both pretty proactive. I think. Yeah, but well, but both of those decks can also grind thanks to double team. Yeah, and I think like if we're looking at you know black can grind because it has removal. Guildsworn Prowler is a two for one. Vampire Spawn feels like I mean not a two for one, but like you know it's giving you some value on ETB. Then you're getting Priest of Ancient Lore and all the good stuff from white. I mean, black and white are just still primo primo. Their commons run super deep. I think that speaks volumes that sewer plague is sixth but it still has like a practically 58 percent game and hand win rate which is high for the sixth highest common in a single color you know yeah it's wild to me that that is not closer to the top and i think guild sworn prowler being number one makes sense to me because it is the most straightforward card to play right right you play it you attack with it you block with it when you need to block mm-hmm. and you get a two for one for two mana you're not allowed to block with it ben then you don't get to draw your card <laughs> yeah i forgot come on come on <laughs> All right, moving on to red up next. Uh, we've got number one, Dragon's Fire still. Number two, Genasi Rabble Rouser. Yep. Hot on its heels. And I think you could reasonably make a case that Genasi Rabble Rouser should be number one. Genasi Rabble Rouser is the one in red for the one three with double team. And you can pump it with one in a red to make all copies of Genasi Rabble Rouser get plus one plus oh. I could see that being number one pretty easily. Yeah, there's this super weird tension, you know, thinking about red and black and I guess even white with Patriarch's Humiliation, that there is such premium two drops in these formats with, you know, double team in Rabble Rouser with the potential two for one with Guildsworn Prowler. But then there's also all of these important rares and mythics that you need to be able to deal with or these important specialized creatures that you need to be able to maybe kill when they go to flip them or whatever that you also need to prioritize removal quite highly. So usually we would fall in one end of the camp here, right? We'd be like, no, you have to take Dragon's Fire first or no, you have to take Rabble Rouser first because, you know, threat's better than removal. But here there's a real push pull with those kinds of cards. 
That's what I've felt as well. I have found that removal is harder to pick up than creatures for me, and I am mm-hmm. miserable when I don't yeah. have ways to interact with my opponents in the game. So I, personally, I have been taking the removal slightly higher, but can certainly see that not being the case. And Dragon's Fire specifically, I think I I say this because I need to make this mental shift, and so I assume some of our listeners do as well. I look at this and my brain shortcuts it as a three damage removal spell. And it really isn't in this format. It really can be a catch-all removal spell with almost no work on your part, depending on what your second color is, depending on what kinds of top end you get, that you really can think of this as a deal four, deal five, if you're green, red, deal seven. So this can be a catch-all removal spell depending on the type of deck. So it's not as narrow as my brain keeps shortcutting it to be. Yes. And I think after that, it gets super contextual. So Cobalt Warcaller, card we didn't talk about much last week, red for Mm -hmm. a 1-1, and it could tap to give a creature in your hand haste perpetually. That card is extraordinarily powerful in aggressive decks. And I think you have to want the Cobalt Warcaller and have good creature quality before you're really excited about it. But if your deck wants it, it really wants it. Yeah, I I totally agree. I think the card's quite strong. And 17 Lands agrees with our assessment of Fire number one, Rabble Rouser number two, and then it agrees with Contextual. Doesn't actually have Warcaller there, but tied for the number three slot are Earth Cult Elemental, Hobgoblin Captain, and Valor Singer. So very contextual beyond those top two. I would say Valor Singer has felt a lot better to me in this format than it did in AFR. I think just because the curve starts a little lower, like it actually starts on one here and red, white aggro is such an aggressive deck. Mm-hmm. Um, incessant Propagation as well in red, still super premium, still great in red, black. Also just playable in red, white as like a four mana, do some damage and essentially kill your thing because you're assuming you're going to be ahead of your opponent. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. And I think Cobalt Warcaller specifically, like you just have to make sure that you have the right creatures around it. Because so many times my opponent has played Cobalt Warcaller on one, activated it two or three times, and I've been like, oh my god, I'm so dead, you know? And then like they play their thing and they don't even end up attacking because they're behind or whatever. So it's terrifying, but for it to really be good, you have to have double team creatures or you know large dragons that you're hasting out or you know, things that you want to give haste to. Double team is really the key because like it, you know, it's that's the reason that Warriors of Tiamat is so good, right? Is that it attacks immediately and you get that card immediately into your hand as the as the 4-2 haste for five mana. So Cobalt Warcaller effectively turns all of your double team cards into that, which is really powerful. So I think that, and then keeps the gas flowing in terms of getting more hasty threats after that. So I, I do think that that's where Cobalt Warcaller shines the most. Yeah, and moving on to green, we were pretty unclear about green, at least I was personally, I don't want to lump you in with that last week. (laughs) And some of that was just losing a lot at the start of the format to a lot of things that were out of my control, some of which was in my control too. But it's harder to figure out the format when you're losing a lot. And I had a chance to play more with green and have more success with green and play against green. And the card that is awesome is Underseller Mycanid. I think that's a clear number one, the two and a green for the one, two taps to add one man of any color. When it dies, you get a one, one sapperling. And when it ETBs, it also brings a one, one sapperling along with it. It just does so much for the green decks and it's the glue for all of the different types of green decks. It plays very well with the sacrifice stuff in black, it plays great with humiliation in white. It shuts down aggro starts from your opponents that have you know any sort of X1s going on. It gives you time to get to your bigger stuff than your opponent has. It helps you splash. It does so many small things so well. 
yes, it is the truth in green and 17 lands agrees has it as the top common. And that has a bunch of chunkers in two, three, four dread Lenorm, hill giant, herd gorger and owlbear. I would personally have owlbear ahead of the other two. Um, I, I know that I think you said I forget if it was you or Alex said you were kind of under impressed by owlbear in this format. I have liked it a lot. And I don't know if that's because I'm doing more of the like blinky stuff, like doing Bant blink a lot, which we'll talk about in a little bit. And Lenorm, yes, it's a blowout, but it's also really easy to read. You know, that's what I have found as well. I have not had problems playing around my opponent's dread Lenorms. I have had problems with the seven, six unblockable, but the the adventure part of the Lenorm, I think is extraordinarily easy to see coming and to play around unless your opponent has something you need to kill and they're just holding up four mana, then it's kind of a problem. Sure, yes. And it was me that said I've been underwhelmed by Owlbear, because I think one of the things green does well is let you pull from all different places color-wise, and then your mana base is a little bit stretched, and the green green Mm. on Owlbear can be a problem, and it's not as premium because you're playing with so many other good cards. So I I do like Owlbear in like the two-color green decks that aren't you know going quite as insanely big, but if you're splashing at all, I've been less impressed by Albear. That makes sense to me, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick ad break, and then we'll be back with some pillars of the format. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by big wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when we first heard that Mint Mobile offers premium wireless starting at just 15 bucks a month, we thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they're the first company to sell wireless service online only. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. For anyone who hates their phone bill, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just 15 bucks a month. Mint Mobile gives you the best rate whether you're buying for one or a family. And at Mint, families start at two lines. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash lol. That's mintmobile.com slash lol. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash LOL. And now back to the show. All right, let's talk about just like, I think the general shells of the decks that we like in this set. So what's number one for you? Yeah, I think the number one pillar of the format is Mardu aggressive decks. So that would be red, white, red, black, white, black. And just to get into what each of them do very well, red, white is very hyper aggressive with double team. So you want your curve to be super low. You want Cobalt Warcallers, you want Steadfast Unicorns, curving those into double team creatures like Genasi Rabble Rouser, and then you want the efficient removal like Humiliation Dragon's Fire. Red-White, you could make a deck with all commons, and it would be excellent. Yeah, absolutely. That is that is the best deck at common in the format, for sure. Next up is Red-Black Sacrifice, and I do think Sacrifice is the name of the game here, though it can just be like Red-Black Aggro. They both just have a good roster of commons. They get access to some double team. Two-for-ones, as we talked about with Guildsworn Prowler, excellent removal, good top end at common as well, like just to ha- checks a lot of boxes. I do think it's similar to Steel and Sack and AFR as we have the three sack outlets with Skullport Merchant, Sepulchre Ghoul, and Deadly Dispute, and then Incessant Provocation as your steel. Ghoul is actually really important there to be able to fire off the provocation whenever you want and ha- then have the free sack outlet. I found the two mana from either Dispute or Merchant 
does make provocation, you know, hike up on the curve a little bit. But I do think that's the name of the game. And it's not really treasure based. Like Kalane kind of falls flat for me in this format. Yes, I have found that to be a similar case for me as well. And I also think when you compare it to Red White, not getting access to Patriarch's Humiliation and Griffin is pretty rough when you're facing Red Black against Red White. Yeah, for sure. It is nice that Sewer Plague can blow out the Griffin, though, like because of the minus two, minus two. Yes, for sure. Moving on to White Black, Minthara of the Absolute is the key card here. That card is such a dream, and it's not just good in White Black. It's worth splashing a bunch of other places as well, but this is the the two White Black, two four, with starting intensity zero, and then when something you control leaves the battlefield, you ratchet its intensity up by one, plus all the other copies in your deck in hand. So if you have multiples, you're going to start at the intensity that you arrived to with the first one. It just makes all of your creatures trade up, and Black White has so many bodies thanks to double team and you know cards like the prowler that want to attack and then draw you another card that you just can throw bodies at your opponent until your creatures are five ones or six ones and then they just your opponent can't do anything anymore the dream here and i've just i snapped this up so often the dream here for me is to be either green black or green white and splash it when i've got mike in it so then all my saprolings are these huge threats Ooh, love that yeah And I think of the aggro decks, white black is the least aggressive of them. It can still have insanely aggressive starts. And it also, I think, makes very good use of unicorn as well because it can go wide so easily. But Mm, this one can mm. also go late game. I mean, you've got premium removal. You've got card advantage thanks to double team. It just does a lot of things really well. Like red, white and red, black. I look at those two decks and I go, I'd be pretty happy with just a deck of 23 commons. When we get to white, black, that's where I go. I'm going to I'm going to need something a little higher up on the rarity scale for that deck to sing for me. All it really takes is Minthara, though, I think. Yeah, Yeah, Minthara, Skullport Merchant. It's not a lot, but I think you do need a little bit of push from higher rarities. Yes, for sure. Next up in the tier two or or number two spot, we've got green ramp decks. And these can range anywhere from two to five colors, but they have the same goal. And they kind of bleed a little bit into our number three. I think we can talk about these two kinds of decks in tandem, which is team or dragons, which is often base green blue, I would say. Um, But Mike and it is the star here. You want to use this to get you to a better late game than your opponent has without dying, right? It really provides you either with something that can trade or chump block with your saproling, and then you're ramping up, you're fixing as well. And Lenorm is often unblockable by aggro decks if they don't have a removal spell. And so getting that kind of finisher at common is important for these decks as well. Yeah, I think for me, mentally, like the ramp decks versus the dragons decks just had a distinction because I do think if you're a dragons deck, you really are just trying to put as many dragons in your deck as possible because you got great dragons payoffs. And I think that is a separate thing from like a green deck that has like two Lenorms and a hill giant herd gorger at the top end. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yes, I I agree with that for sure. Yeah, I think I think those are often coming at rare. I mean, maybe Lausanne, the blue red signpost is something that pushes you towards dragons. Certainly not like Coralesa is definitely more of a uh, reward than a reason. That's the green blue two drop that lets you play dragons off the top. But often I've been just more excited to do dragon stuff when I open or get past like Amiram. That's the the team or rare dragon that copies dragons when you cast them or when they ETB rather. Yeah, and I think these green ramp decks can be anywhere from two to five colors. You know, you can do green, white ramp. You can do green, black ramp. You can also play, you know, green three or four colors and play a lot of the good specialized cards. So a green's just really flexible. And I think it is a step behind what I would prefer to do, which is be one yes. of those three Mardu decks. But a lot of times, you know, the format feels like it's corrected pretty quickly. And those those decks are contested. And I think 
contested versions of those decks are not great. And a good mm-hmm. green ramp deck, like if green's not contested, is very, very good and can still beat good versions of those Mardu decks if you build it right. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think you could easily make a comparison coming off the heels of Streets of New Capenna. You're like, well, Brokers was busted and White was so deep in that set. Well, look at this format. We've got White being super deep at Common. The top three Commons overall are all White. Are we not in another problem? And I just don't think we are. I think the course correction that seems to be happening in drafts, and I do think the colors are a lot closer than people are giving them credit for, or at least, you know, the gaps are there for sure and, and Blue is in last place or whatever, but that that all things are viable if something is contested yeah well and i certainly think too there's just games where if you build your green deck right like green can ramp really fast mike and it is an insanely mm-hmm. good card if you play mike and it on three against one of these mardu aggro decks you're very likely to get to do what you want to do in the late game and i think i don't i don't feel like i'm handicapping myself by playing green against the mardu decks the way i felt right when you're like nuka Pena where i wasn't white blue or whatever yeah, you know if, if you're riveteers you're like oh so i'm just gonna i just can't get seven wins or whatever yeah uh last deck on this list is my personal favorite this is enter the battlefield abuse decks and you can either have these i think primarily in esper colors or be base green as well i've been doing more bant style blink decks more green blue white than i have been doing esper but you can definitely do it in esper as well and treasures are a huge help in terms of splashing in this deck but you're trying to use cards like blur like OG the Exquisite Blade, that's the uh, uncommon signpost for white blue, four mana for a two three. It enters the battlefield, you gain two life and you scry two. And whenever you cast your second spell each turn, you can blink something. Icewind Stalwart, the four mana three three that blinks something when it comes into play. And even Summon Undead to rebuy enter the battlefields. I like Summon Undead as that five mana zombify effect that also mills three. If you have you know really strong rares that you're like, look, my whole deck's about this, and once they kill it, I want to get that back. Yeah, and I think Blur for those of you that haven't been playing blue hidden gem in blue because you can always pick up a copy or two it's two in mm-hmm. blue for the instant uh, you flash something out and then it comes back and then you get to draw a card so you can blank removal but also just like re-trigger your etb on really good etb things maybe it's as simple as drawing a card off priest of ancient lore but as busted as blinking a meteor golem to blow something up you know shout out to a rare that i finally got to play with yesterday mirror of life trapping this is four mana for an <laughs> artifact whenever a creature enters the battlefield if it was cast exile it then return all other permanent cards exiled with mirror of life trapping to the battlefield under their owner's control when i read this in like set review season i was like i just didn't get this i was like this seems like garbage unplayable i probably gave it an f or something but i now get it that it's good it's a build around for enter the battlefield effects because you get to trigger those twice right so you cast priest of ancient lore it comes into play you draw the card gain a life it goes under mirror of life trapping and then the next creature that someone plays that goes under mirror of life trapping you get priest back you draw a card again so i got to play that in a deck with like two priests four myconids pilgrim's eye two owl bears so just all of these enter the battlefield effects triggering twice was really sweet very nice so not an f not an F. I think that's a I think that's a solid build around B. I don't know for these kinds of decks. We'll, we'll, t- we'll talk about building around these sweet rares in a few weeks. Yeah. And so I think you're looking out for any style of decks. You're looking out for those meteor golems. You want your owlbears. You want your priests of ancient lore. You want your black dragons. You want things that have 
powerful ETBs, and then you're trying to reuse them. Didn't you say you had like Meteor Golem enter the battlefield like five times in a game? I really did. It was awesome. I had a deck with three Meteor Golems that was just all of these cards. Five colors, splashing for blur, an Icewind stalwart. was. Come on. Come on. (laughs) How can this format not be sweet, my friend? Come on That was when I decided it was a fine format. (laughs) Because I was doing that in, you know, ranked best of one in Diamond or whatever, and my red-white opponents couldn't get through my Myconids, and then I crushed them. And I think before we get on to the next thing which is individual cards like these do these four things seem to be the pillars of the format to me so i think unless we miss something do you feel like there's a deck that a style of deck that's not in here that you've come up against a lot the only thing i would say is maybe like mardu soup as a like I don't know, weird, bizarro world version of the ETB blink decks where you can just do like treasures splashing, get lots of removal and have your top end there. You know, like you get a Jan Jansen or whatever and you want to do artifact sack stuff or but like the other kinds of decks like black green graveyard or blue black sneaky blue black control. Those are decks that I think are still competitive, but they come up so much less frequently than these four kinds of decks. Yeah, and I would even lump Black Green Reanimator into the ETB abuse deck, sort yeah, of. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Well, and, and like like a combination of that and the Green Ramp decks. But I think if you know about these being the decks in the format, you just need to figure out during the draft what you're trying to navigate towards. And like for me personally, it's Mardu Aggro number one, some sort of green deck two and then some sort of etb abuse deck three um but if your order's different that's fine i think the green decks can certainly compete especially if you want to go in saying hey i'm expecting martyr to be contested or you know i don't love aggro i want to try to beat aggro green's a fine way to do that but you just need to during the course of the draft i think be steering yourself towards one of these things and having a goal in mind with the cards you're picking okay i'm taking this with the hope that i'm going to end up here and if this is cut here's how i'm going to pivot out of it you know and it doesn't feel rock paper scissory to me it feels like all of these decks can beat or lose to all of these decks yes i would agree yeah all right moving on to individual cards first up ethan are you an <laughs> iron golem truther i am firmly not an Iron Golem Truther. So this is uh, a bit of a contested card or a bit of a, a hot topic card this week. So this is the four mana artifact. It's a five through with vigilance. It attacks or blocks each combat if able. Does this have like a good win rate in this format? It was like creeping up for a minute. I think it's not anymore. Now it's now it's tanking. It's got a 56.5% game in hand win rate, which is still higher than you would think. But it's it's way down the list of the top commons in the format on 17 lands. I'm sure it tanked because the people that are very good at magic started proclaiming how good Iron Golem was. And people were like, oh, Iron Golem's good. I should put it <laughs> in my deck. And then they're not quite as good at magic as the people that are very good at magic, which I think are probably better than me at magic. And I think Iron Golem stats were inflated by red white being insane and people forcing red white and then like needing to put an iron golem in their four drop slot and the other busted red and white cards carrying iron golem and i do think it does play well with war caller right like hasting out a five three on turn four is pretty strong i think that is iron golem's best point in favor of it i I think the other best friend is blessed hippogriff the fact that you can use, like, you know, your opponent thinks they have this easy trade or whatever, or they attack into it. The fact that you get to the, then go block, indestructible, blow them out a little bit. I do think with a huge body like that 5-3, um, or huge power with the 5-3, rather, I think makes that uh, a pretty good team. Yeah, for sure. But Iron Golem is 
not a good card. I, I, I cannot in good conscience recommend that people put Iron Golem in their decks. I, I agree. That's the Lords of Limited seal of approval right there. What about Minimus Containment? The hate, the hate <laughs> pouring out of our dear friend Alex Nikolic on Twitter over Minimus Containment being a terrible card. I need everybody to tweet at Alex with screenshots of your Minimus Containment on a rare or some bomb that you need to deal with and tell him, take that. Is that cyberbullying? That's what I was yeah. wondering yesterday <laughs> Are when we gonna I posted get, my screenshot. Get flagged for cyberbullying. I think he can handle it. I think he can take it. Um, but seriously, I you know I don't think minimus containment is great or whatever. And I do recognize that you know you don't want to ramp your opponent from three to five. You know you're not firing this off on their three drop or whatever unless their three drop I guess is a bomb. But think about minimus containment more like divine gambit, right? The white white thing that you know exiles a permanent and then they can pick something from their hand and put it into play for free. Well, you know, you don't want to fire that off early, let them drop their six drop. But if you wait until like turn six or seven to play Minimus Containment, you're usually mitigating the cost of this. And the fact that you get an answer to any kind of permanent is quite good. I was way too high on this last week. I I think we were too willing to put this in our deck last week, personally. Like it is it is less good than that. And we were talking about it on par with Humiliation, and it is nowhere close to as good as humiliation, like nowhere close. But the truth is somewhere in the middle. I mean, it's certainly a playable card. You're not picking it highly, but like it's fine to include a copy of Minimus Containment in your main deck. This is diminishing returns like poster child, right? The first copy of this is fine. The second copy of this gets markedly worse. The third copy is like nearly unplayable, I think. Yeah. Next up, Monk of the Open Hand. This is single white for the 1-1. One, one. And whenever you cast your second spell each turn, it gets a plus one, plus one counter This was not particularly playable in AFR, and it is quite good in this format, I think, in the white aggressive decks. Like, if your aggressive deck doesn't want Monk of the Open Hand, you didn't build it aggressively enough. I think this is a real pick, and you should not be expecting to wheel Monk of the Open Hand if you're drafting aggro. There are two words for why Monk of the Open Hand is better in this format than AFR. What's that? Double team. Ooh, double team. Right? You just like, like... The fact that all of your two drops draw additional two drops makes it pretty trivial to trigger this a couple times throughout the game. Yeah, and a one mana 2-2 or a one mana 3-3 is just a good card in this format. For sure. Can I talk about my memeiest card of the format now? Lizard Folk Librarians? I want to know, Ethan. I don't even know if you know. What is the ratio of meme to dream with Lizard Folk Librarians? Because I had a chance to play with this yesterday, and I fell in love. Uh, so I tweeted the other day, I don't know if folks know that like meme template from the office of like corporate wants you to find the difference between these two pictures, and then Pam says they're the same picture. I put Lizard Folk Librarians and Imperial Oath in those two slots. So Imperial Oath from Neon Dynasty as like, you know, the, the awesome common six mana, make three two twos with Vigilance, Scry three. Lizard Folk Librarians, obviously not as good as Imperial Oath, but I think it's a lot better than people are giving it credit for. Like, four mana, two, four is positioned well as a blocker. Scry two is no joke. The fact that it can attack in because it has four toughness, it's a little awkward when you want to get the second copy, but you also are on the back foot, which is often how I find myself in my blue decks in this format. <laughs> shocking. Um, yeah, shocking, I know. But when you do get any kind of ability to attack in and get that second copy and get another 2-4 and scry 2 again, it does feel close to Imperial Oath in that respect. I mean, you're paying 8 mana, but you're getting the same power and toughness spread across multiple bodies. You're getting scry 4 or scry 2 twice or whatever. Like, I I can't tell. I'm too lost. I'm too deep in it to know what's meme and what's dream right now. But I do really like this card. I will say I played with it yesterday in Sealed quite a bit and i mean sealed's probably a scotch slower than draft and i think it is 
probably unlikely that I might not have blew that often in draft, but I was impressed. I think it is closer to Imperial Oath than it is not. And I would have laughed at you for making that comparison before operating with it on the battlefield. I guess it's just so important to play with cards for yourself. Yeah. Um, but I do think it's good. I was impressed. I, I think I would be happy including multiple copies in a deck that was blue. Sweet. All right. Moving on to Guildsworn Prowler. Just public service announcement. This is the two one with Death Touch. You don't have to attack with this card. Like if you're behind, you should leave it back to block. That's one of the reasons that it's so powerful is because it's a great attacker, but it also is a great blocker. Like when your opponent slams Hill Giant Herdgorger, you should probably stop attacking with Guildsworn Prowler and block their Hill Giant Herdgorger, you know? Fine, Ben. I guess you're right. That makes sense. <laughs> but I want to draw my card. I know. So many people are so tunnel visioned on getting the two for one that I think they're misplaying with this card. I mean, this is why this card is so good is because it gets in for like eight unblockable damage because no one wants to two for one themselves. And then when you drop your Herdgorger or whatever, then your opponent just goes, okay, fine. It's done. It's, uh, my two drop can uh, be eight damage and then trade with your six drop. That seems good to me. Yeah. All right. Next up, we've got Charm, Sleep, and Ray of Frost. Talk to me about those. Uh, these cards are atrocious. As a blue <laughs> truther in this format, like, and, and I'm not saying this as someone who's like been burned by playing them. I just never play them. And I get, you know, because I'm drafting blue a lot, I get people in Twitch chat asking me about these cards. It's just so poorly positioned in this format against basically every color but red, I think. Like, Clever Conjurer in blue lets you untap your stuff. There's Sacrifice in black. There's Blink in white. And there's even the uncommon specialized creature in green that like flips to blow up artifacts and enchantments. Like every color except for red has really good main deck ways to answer these cards. Just like don't put them in your deck. Yeah, I would concur. And I have not been. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and lastly, another blue card on this list is Alora Rogue Companion. Three and a blue for a 3-2 with specialized two. And it says whenever you attack, up to one target attacking creature can't be blocked this turn at the beginning of the next end step. Return that creature to its owner's hand. And the specialized backsides let you do multiple things like the white one lets you make a 1-1 one, one token when you blink something. Or if it's the blue backside, you get something perpetually like minus one, minus oh forever. But really, it's just a very slow way to blink stuff when you're playing like white green or white black and shout out to neil oliver on twitter who posted this in a white green deck he had a sweet trophy deck that was white green splashing Alora, and i was like whoa 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 why are you splashing this terrible card and he was like i think this is a card that is bad in blue decks and good in non-blue decks and after seeing that it sort of clicked with me because it's so good at blinking cheap stuff like that or rebuying etb effects that i've been impressed by it Right. So you the plan is you stabilize the board and then you mm -hmm. win through incremental value. And once, exactly but once right. you're stable, like it's pretty inevitable that you're going to win then. Exactly right. Because not only are you rebuying your owlbear or whatever, but you're also chunking in for four points of damage every turn. Yes. I have been on the receiving end of Alora locks a couple of times, and I usually concede at the point when my opponent picks up their meteor golem. Yeah, that's the dream right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's some cards touching up on the top commons. I feel much more comfortable in the format. I feel like I understand it and I feel like I know how to bob and weave. I think this format is a double team format, much more than it is a specialized format or anything else. I agree. Yeah, that might be like the headliner mechanic or the thing that defines the format a little bit in terms of the draft environment that is. I agree with that. And I and I like double team. I think that's like I think it's good to give aggressive decks card advantage because that's one of the things that mitigates the feel bads of drafting those decks oh that's see this is where you and i are at different places in the format i hate double team as a mechanic why 
It's just too easy to get a free card, I think. I want people to have to work for it more. What do you mean? Like, but like everything is a two for one. No one has to work for their extra card with Priest or Owlbear. Like, why do you have to work? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I would just prefer none of those cards to draw a card. Well, but they're going to. So like either you're going to have to play a different game or you're going to have to get over it. I know, which is why I've been saying I'm trying to stop hating the format for what it's not (laughs) rather than loving it for what it is. And once I accept that this is the world I'm in, it is kind of fun. All right, so uh, let me let me get, pop inside the brain of Ben Warney here and take me through a draft. All right, let's do it. Pack one, pick one. You sit down and you see the following cards as options. Ooh. In the commons, there's some good ones. There's Underseller Myconid, two and a green for the one, two. When ETBs are dies, you make a one, one green sapling creature token, and it taps to add one mana of any color. There's Genasi Rabble Rouser, one and a red for the one, three with double team, and one and a red to pump all Genasi Rabble Rousers you control by plus one, plus oh. There's a Flaming Fist Dust Guard. This is one and white for the three, one, and when ETBs, you get a boon. Uh, well, your next creature perpetually gets plus one, plus oh. I would caution against going hard into white for the two drops. I think that's how you get yourself in trouble a lot and end up with a mediocre white deck. Yeah, they're pretty interchangeable. I mean, I do think Soldiers of the Watch is the best of the bunch, but I do agree that they're a little bit more interchangeable than I was thinking about last week. And those three top commons are really like the three aggressive top commons with Hippogriff, Humiliation, and Unicorn, I think are really the premium ones for you to be thinking about at common. But it's easy for you to, I think, fall into the trap of, well, I know white's good. I know white aggro mm-hmm. decks are good. Like, I'm going to take these white two drops. White's open. But white isn't really open because your neighbor's taking the hippogriffs and the humiliations. And what you end up with is a highly medium aggressive deck. Correct. All right. Those are the commons that stand out. Moving on to the uncommons. Best uncommon in the set, maybe? Viconia Nightsinger's Disciple. This is one in a black for two, three. Pay one, exile target card from a graveyard. And it specializes for two mana. Do you not think so? Well, I just want, I was curious. I'm, I'm, I want to see what 17 lands has to say about that. His Vaconi at number four, Rasad number one, and Sea Tower Imprisonment number two. Oh, yeah. Skullport Merchant number three, Vaconia number four. I forgot about Sea Tower Imprisonment. Sea Tower Imprisonment is probably number one. I, yeah. Personally, I think I would put Vaconia at number two. I love Vaconia and I hate playing against it. It's just like, I mean, one of the things that I think started to make specialized easier for me to sort of compartmentalize was just putting all the specialized cards into one of two buckets. The one bucket is it's not a two for one. And the other bucket is it's a two for one, right? So when you flip it, you get a card's worth of value. Vaconia in flipping it to the blue black side Ooh. is nuts. Getting a spell and a creature from this with like the specialized cost being so cheap, it being a two mana, two, three, it just like checks so many ridiculous boxes. Yeah. Love blue black Vaconia. Um, I, I do think, I mean, we're going to take Faconia here because our rare is a dud, but I do want to talk about Ghost Lantern, which is in this pack, single black for an artifact equipment. Its adventure is one in a black uh, to get a creature card from your graveyard to your hand at instant speed. And then it's an equipment itself for one mana, equip cost for one. Whenever a creature you control dies, put a plus one plus one counter on equipped creature. I have liked this. The fact that there isn't really recursion like this at common, I do think makes this a more unique effect. Then I gave it credit for in the crash course. Yeah, card's been fine. Yeah, but we're just slamming Viconia here. Slamming Viconia, yeah. Yeah. All right, moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options. There's Vampire Spawn, two and a black for the two, three that drains two, gains two. There's Steadfast Paladin, one and a white for the two, two with a lifelink. 
There's Dread Lenorm, 6G for the 7-6, can't be blocked by creatures power 3 or less, and then has scale deflection as the adventure. Instant put 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters on target creature, untap it, and give it hexproof until end of turn. There's Sepulchre Ghoul, 1 and a black for the 2-2, sack another creature to give it plus 2 plus 2 until end of turn, activate it only once a turn. So some good commons there. And then moving on to the uncommons, with one uncommon missing, there's Liara the Flaming Fist, that's the red-white 2-2. At the beginning of each combat, each creature you control gets plus one, plus one until end of turn if it has the same name as another creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard. It has the activated ability one red white. Another target non-token creature you control gains first strike and double team until end of turn. Activate only as a sorcery and only once. I didn't realize because it's just it is hard to figure out like, okay, there's conjure and there's seek and then there's perpetual. And I assumed that this was perpetual. There was like only once and then I remembered that. But it doesn't. So if like you rebuy it, you blink it back to your hand, it comes back, you can activate that again. It dies, you recur it, you can activate that again. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. Like, it, it's, it's just hard. There's just a lot of different like nuances like that in the format that I think make it m- more complicated than it needs to be. I, the first time I played with it, this is going to shock you, didn't read all the way to the bottom of the card and was very sad that I could only activate it one time. I wasted my activation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so what are your thoughts on this pack like if this were pack one pick one what would you take Ooh, i might try to take liara and try to yeah. spike something awesome because i do think power level wise it is significantly higher than the commons i don't know if that's right or not though that's what i think i think liara is really good and the fact that red white is so easy to come together at common or the most reliable deck to come together at common and perhaps the best deck in the format period i I would really be tempted to take liara if this were pack one pick one and i'm pretty tempted to take it here to be honest Ooh, i am not at all i think viconia is much better than liara and it's it's very hard for me to imagine a scenario where i have both those cards in my deck right but like so my argument is Either you have Vaconia and black's going to be open and that's great. Or you take Liara here and then red white is open and that's great. Like you're just setting yourself up to have a great card in one of two decks. And I feel like I'd rather do that than go all in on Vaconia here without, I don't know, without a card that's in our, it's different if we're looking at a top black common here. But the fact that the best black commons we have are Vampire Spawn or Ghoul makes me a little less excited. Yeah, I'm personally excited enough for Ghoul. I would be on Ghoul over liara here to pair with viconia because i really 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 want to play viconia like i want to play viconia a lot more than i want to play liara and i think interesting i'm fine going into any of the black color pairs here with viconia like even blue because you talked about how awesome the blue black side of viconia is so i I think the fact that i can be black x like i'm open enough and i would rather just solidify myself into black and i feel like i will even if black is kind of cut be able to find another color to pair with black word okay cool all right, so it took Sepulchre Ghoul over the Liara there. Moving on to pack one, pick three. Drying up in a hurry here. So commons as options. There's Lizard Folk Librarians, <laughs> three and a blue for the two four with double team. Were you wondering if I was going to say Lizard Folk well, Librarians? I, yeah, I, just, I, I appreciate the, the shout out there. I think, you know, most people gloss over it, but you know, I appreciate you uh, you giving them some uh, some space here in the episode. Yeah, we're trying to raise awareness, you know. <laughs> There's Cobalt Warcaller, red for the 1-1. One, one. Tap, choose a creature card in your hand. It perpetually gains haste. There's Gray Slade, the 2 and a black for the 4-1. has an adventure, 1 and a black. You can mill 4 cards, and as long as there are 4 more creature cards in your graveyard, it has Menace and Death Touch. That card's terrible, right? Yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> 
And then moving on to the uncommons, there's Trellisara, the green-white, 2-2 uh, when you gain a life, put a plus and plus one counter on it, and scry. And then there's OG the Exquisite Blade, 2 white, blue, for the 2-3 when ETBs, you gain 2, scry 2. When you cast your second spell each turn, exile up to one target creature you control, then return to the battlefield under its owner's control. Yeah, I mean, I'm just slamming OG here, personally, um, which is why I wanted to do this draft log. I think it's it's highlighting some differences between how you and I are approaching the format a little bit, um, that maybe I'm more interested in, like, high-rolling some stuff. And by, when I say high-rolling, I just mean, like, you know, taking a, like, thing that's like, well, this is a risky pick, but can't if it pans out, it's going to be awesome, but won't pan out a lot of the time but here i just slam og and i'm like oh great maybe i can do so i'll be black white splash blue black blue splash white there's plenty of fixing i think og is a cool build around not difficult to get good etbs in these colors etc yeah i think og is super reasonable here for me it was between cobalt Warcaller and og and this was right after i had kind of come to terms with how busted cobalt Warcaller was and Uh. that i needed to pick it higher so I would prefer to be red black, I think, also with sure. the Sepulcher Ghoul as well. So I think the nuts and bolts pick here is Cobalt Warcaller. But yeah. I think OG is super reasonable. And if you want to try to draft something spicier, I don't think it's wrong to pick OG. No, I don't think so. So I ended up on the Cobalt Warcaller here. I think OG is also very reasonable. Moving on to pack one, pick four. Very sad pack for me. So... You can see uh, Steadfast Unicorn, white for the one, two, three, and a white. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one, and gain vigilance until end of turn. Activate it only during your turn. Uh, there's Shamelin Ghast, black for the one, one. When it dies, you either give a creature minus one, minus one, or make a treasure. There's Owlbear, 3GG for the 4 fourth Trample. When it ETBs, you draw a card. There's no other real commons in consideration. And then moving on to the uncommons, there's a rare, an uncommon, and a common missing out of the pack. Uh, the first uncommon is Skanos Dragon Vassal. That's 4G for a 4-4 four, four with Specialize. Um, when it attacks, target attacking creature gets plus X plus O until end of turn where X is Skanos' power. Have not loved that one. How about you? I really haven't. Like that is in the bucket of it does not actually recoup the card from uh, the specialized cost. I mean, this is for for very old magic players. This is Dirkwood Boars. It's a five mana four four, which is pretty unimpressive when you see a card like Owlbear specifically in this pack at common. And then the fact that its specialized cost is four is a lot. The fact that you only get the thing when you're ahead. Like, obviously, this card can be backbreaking, and I've lost to this the turn after. Like, my opponent casts this, the next turn they flip it, I'm dead. Sure, that happens. But that's a, like, game where I'm I'm behind already, etc. I just don't think Scanos does enough for me to want to pick it highly. Yeah, same for me. And then uh, also, another great uncommon, Drew to the Emerald Grove, Three and a green for a 2-2. When ETBs, you search your library for two basic land cards, reveal them, then roll a D20. If you low roll, both go into your hand. If you high roll, one of them goes onto the battlefield, tap the other in your hand. And if you hit the jackpot with a 20, they both go onto the battlefield, tapped. I love this card, and I feel like it's criminally underrated right now. It's really good. I was kind of thinking maybe it wasn't that good because you didn't need to ramp from four to whatever, but just the, the sheer fixing aspect of it, it's absurd. I started at absurd and moved it down, and it is back to absurd. You get, like, the, the I think just a, a good baseline is, like, how many rectangles of magic cards do I get? Like, how many paper <laughs> products do I have? And this is three. For the price of one card, for only four mana. It's very good. Yeah, card's card's great. Yeah, so you take it here just on sheer power, but it's not a great follow-up. I mean, green-black is a fine deck or whatever, but this is a much more value-oriented card than perhaps this lean, mean, red-black aggressive machine that your first three cards would be pointing you towards. 
Right. Like, I would be way happier taking Druid here had I taken OG. Like, you're right. thrilled to take Druid yeah. here, right? Like, yeah. and the spice is on. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'm splashing for fixing here, effectively. I'll be like, all right, fine. I'm Esper touching green for Druid. Sounds good. Yeah. But I mean, in all seriousness, I think other reasonable cards you could take. You could take Shamelin Ghast and continue yeah. down this black road. You could take Steadfast Unicorn and try to get into white aggro. Mm-hmm. I was nervous about doing both those things because a common's already missing. And if somebody's taking a common over Druid, like there's no green common you're taking over Druid, right? Correct. And people don't like blue. So that leads me to believe that somebody has taken a white, a red, or a black common. And if they're taking one of those things to my left already, it's pretty likely that they're going to be in my business. And I don't really want to fight over that if they're going to be passing me cards as good as Druid. So I figured this was time to abandon ship. I figured this was a pretty huge signal here with Albert and Druid being in the pack still. I'm I'm so impressed by you in this capacity. This is something you're so good at and it doesn't register on my radar like basically at all. This is a huge leak in my drafting game that I don't put those like I, I certainly clock oh a rare and uncommon and a common are missing but I have a really hard time making the next like three assumptions that you just made that I think all make a ton of sense to me yeah so took druid here and moving on to pack one pick five very glad that we we took druid there mm-hmm. so next pack there's young blue dragon four and a blue for the three three with flying uh, adventure you can pay one and a blue to scry one draw card there's like inspiring bard the the four mana three three they can give you plus two plus two and gain three uh either one of those modes you choose there's a druidic ritual 2g for a sorcery you can mill three and then return up to one creature and one land from your graveyard to your hand i have loved druidic ritual in the nonsense decks interesting i gotta try that maybe i, I just feel like my three drop slot gets so full up i mean this isn't a, a true three drop you're never firing this off on turn three all right so i gotta I got bump this off in my pick order when i'm doing like bant blank stuff i mean it's not great it's like a, a 22nd 23rd type card but it does okay. fit very well in like decks especially if you have several premium cards that you want to cast multiple times sweet so yeah there's not a lot else in the pack there's a rare two uncommons and a common missing the only uncommon left is sigil of merkel which i don't think is particularly playable no uh, it's two black for an enchantment beginning of combat on your turn you mill a card when you do if there are four more creature cards in your graveyard you put a plus plus one counter on target creature you control and it gains death touch until end of turn i want to talk to you about another card in this pack not that i think it's in contention but it's something that comes up as a question for me from twitch chat a lot which is arcane archery this is the two green instant target creature gets plus three plus three gains reach and trample until end of turn and then you get a boon with when you cast your next creature spell at ETBs with an additional plus one plus one counter, reach counter, and trample counter on it. I have not loved it personally, but it's been played against me a lot. I just would rather have Lenorms in my deck than an Arcane Archery. I feel like they occupy the same space and Lenorm is just worlds better. It's really hard for me to justify a three mana combat trick in general, but also my green decks are almost never aggressive they're ramping to big stuff and those decks do not want combat tricks i just don't find this card to be particularly good and i think people are in love with it they're like oh but you it's so good you so good for blocking that's not when you want to be playing combat tricks (laughs) no not at all (laughs) please i mean people do play it against me a lot though and when they do it i'm like okay you got me like sure it's not backbreaking or anything i I don't like the card much personally Yeah, that's my feeling. So I do think I I like what you selected here, which is Young Blue Dragon. I think this is a pretty dud of a pack. And I know we said like, well, you don't want to get into blue at common, but that we mean like pack one, pick one. When it's pack one, pick five, and this is clearly the best card in the pack, 
I think you just take it. Blue isn't to be avoided to that extent. You know, if this were AFR and this were whatever we thought the best blue common was, I don't even know if we knew what the best blue common in AFR was, then maybe you would just stick to your guns and take a, a green card or a black card here or whatever. But I do think you can take young blue dragon here and not feel terrible. Yeah. And I mean, this doesn't mean we're necessarily drafting blue, but it is definitely no. the best card in the pack. And if you're green, blue does pair pretty well with green because green's ramp helps you not die. And there mm -hmm. are some reasonable value cards in the late game for blue. I mean, again, young blue dragon gives you two pieces of cardboard. Are they efficient? No, but like it is still card advantage. Yeah. And I mean, getting to ramp to air cult elemental can really stabilize you in a hurry. For sure. Moving on to pack one pick six. There is nothing great at common here. It's seeming like the aggressive route might have panned out. Uh, there's a you hear something on watch one in a white creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn or it deals five damage to target attacking creature there's a cobalt war caller uh, there's a moradin's disciples three in a white for the Ooh. two three with double team whenever it attacks tap target creature defending player controls i have not loved that card what yeah i don't know man what does that mean what does that mean you don't love it i'll play it in white aggressive decks i'm not picking it super highly so you're four taking mana for a two three is pretty expensive i mean so you're taking hippogriff over it sounds like oh yeah taking humiliation over it yes and taking priest over it yes that's got to be contextual right like disciples is definitely better in some kinds of decks than priest is i don't think so but i might be wrong i just have been pretty unhappy with it okay uh and then there's a Meteor Golem, seven mana Oof. for the 3-3 three, three when it ETBs destroy target non-land permanent and opponent controls. Can we get that OG back, please? I know, yeah. You're so thrilled having OG. I was so sad not having OG, but I felt like it was right to go after the, the tier one Mardu decks, personally yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, That's a yeah. classic Ben move right there, trying to get into the best deck. <laughs> Always. Yeah. So it took Meteor Golem here, and I think the draft round is out. Pack one was messy. Pick seven got Aval, Eager Scholar. Um, pick eight took a red land out of a fairly empty pack on the wheel got a prof prism which basically says you kind of get to do whatever you want as long as you pick up a mic in it or something along the way and then pick 11 ding 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 no. ding ding no wheel og the exquisite blade no. and it, was, it was officially on i'm just like drooling over this final deck you have a clean 7-0 record i assume in you know high plat or diamond um and this is a five color spice ball yeah five color black baby oh my god so good triple meteor golem at the top of the curve tons of fixing base black man base black green ish i would say just so much value so much fixing i do want to talk about I think a lot of people have maybe knocked this format for not having fixing as lands to draft. I've actually found that to be, again, a feature, not a bug. Like, I don't want that for every limited environment, but it has been nice to like have to navigate, okay, which of these pieces of fixing are good, which are worth slots, which are the ones that make me, you know, want less lands or want more lands or because of sources. I found that to be a fun puzzle to solve in these kinds of decks. Yeah, I agree. I would agree that that is a feature, not a bug of the format. And I think knowing that Mike and it is miles better than the rest or figuring that out. And that's what I would have said going into the format, but then I lost my way a little bit <laughs> i don't know it, it was weird but i do think mike and it is head and shoulders above the rest followed closely by pilgrim's eye if we're talking mm -hmm. about ability to fix you yeah and then i think cards like prof prism are maybe necessary evils like i think you're hoping to They're not play prof prism in the format i agree well the fact that there's so few you know i think jan jansen is one of the best places for prophetic prism to exist because then that gives you something to do with the prism 
you know, the fact that a lot of stuff can't blink it, the, the rare blue cat can that like lets you whenever you cast a non-creature spell, you can flicker a non-land permanent. So that lets you flicker prophetic prism and prophetic prism will trigger the cat as well. I'm forgetting what its name is, but uh, displacer but kitten, cool. right? Displacer kitten. Thank you. Um, that's a really good way to use prophetic prism. But I agree by and large, it's hard to it's hard to just get into spending two mana to not really affect the board. This format is a little too fast for that. Yes, that is my feeling as well. Yeah, but this deck looks so awesome. How cool is this? 7-0, you love to see it. Love to see it. All right, any parting thoughts for draft before we head into the Worlds of Sealed next week? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think... There's, I think there's a lot of cool stuff to do in this set. I think that's why I'm liking it so much. There's a lot of fun build around rares um, that have changed my pick orders or make me want to like do certain things. Um, but I, I also really like the aggressive low to the ground double team decks. Um, I do think there's a lot to explore for both spikes and uh, Johnny combos alike. And uh, we'll be diving into that after we prep people for getting that top prize in the arena open next week. Yeah. I just want to, again, extend my apologies to the format. I think there's a lot of things that are not necessarily for me, but it is, I have had fun. I mean, I've had fun playing the format. I think it is deeper than I would have initially given it credit for. I do think there was a lot of missed opportunities for sweet alchemy mechanics. And I I totally agree. I think that... It feels a little hodgepodge cobbled together. And I honestly feel like a lot of the cool, I don't know, micro synergies or whatever, the things that I'm feeling drawn to in the format feel more accidental a lot of the time than they do feel intentional in terms of what this set seems to be. But it's not like it doesn't feel like AFR 2.0, which is what I initially thought. I was like, look at all these AFR reprints. It doesn't feel like that at all to me. And I, one of the things I think is so cool is how so many of those cards have shifted. Sure, some have stayed the same. Grim Bounty and Shambling Gas still being good or whatever. But even those cards knocked down a peg, I would say, from where they were in AFR. Yeah, that's so interesting because I think that's one of the biggest bummers about the format for me. Like my excitement level prior to knowing anything about this format was very high. I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, this could be awesome. You know, like if they're designing an alchemy format for limited, it could be insanely cool. And then when it was like half AFR, I was like really bummed. Yes. And I think I have not quite adjusted to the fact that like, yes, it's half AFR, but it's still very fun. And those AFR cards are in a different context. I still am resenting the format for half of the commons being from AFR, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I think I, I will say my hope is that this is merely the beginning and it's good for us to get used to playing with all these alchemy mechanics like seek and conjure and specialize if they keep that for next time, whatever, that then it'll be easier for us to grok a lot of this stuff the next time they make a limited only alchemy set. And I hope they do do more of this. I hope they do explore more of this kind of design space um, because I think that's fun to get to mess with like these digital only mechanics. Yes, I would definitely say I would want more, but I would want more intentional design like this feels this feels thrown together and like we're going to make this alchemy set but we're not going to put a ton of effort into it so we're just going to pull all these afr cards we already have like i want an alchemy set and if anyone from watsi is listening uh ben and i would happily consult your (laughs) uh r&d team the next time around for an alchemy set we would we would love to be a part of uh figuring this out and getting the best digital only limited set next time yeah or even if you want to rebalance Uh, Alchemy Horizons Baldur's Gate. I would be happy, 
happy to help in the rebalancing process. We're around. Lordsoflimited at gmail.com. <laughs> All right. On that note, thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen on your way out. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. When you are heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.